the biblical view of homosexuality. Um, some of the things that I'm going to say today are very... Uh, I'm, not going to, I'm going to try not to be real graphic. There is one, port, one portion of this, though, that uh, I'm going to have to explain some of the homosexual acts. And it's unfortunate because we don't think about that when CNN or... Uh, other news stations or the newspapers report on homosexuality as an alternative lifestyle. They don't really tell you what it's all about. And before we can uh, really, you know, research the issue, we have to figure out what it is before we can do that. And uh, But basically, the gay rights movement, and just the name itself, by the way, gay, um, it's kind of like the abortion controversy. Uh, we're not pro-lifers, we're anti-abortionists, because Americans don't like the word anti, and they don't like the word abortion. So they call pro-lifers anti-abortionists, whereas the pro-abortionists are called pro-choice, because Americans are pro-freedom, pro-choice, that type of thing. And so there's a, a game, of some, a, a war, basically, a war of semantics that is going on, and... Uh, it's the same with the homosexuality issue. They're referred to as gays. That kind of gives people the impression that they're, even though they're victimized and they're put down by others and these, these poor guys, that they're very happy. And uh, that is not the case. Uh, Rock Hudson, uh, on his deathbed in his last few days, the only reason why he had joy was not because of his life of homosexuality, but because in his dying days, uh, Pat Boone and his family led Rock Hudson to salvation. That comes only uh, through the Lord Jesus. So he found where true joy was, and that's in the Lord Jesus, not in the homosexual uh, lifestyle or, or any other sin for that matter. But the gay rights movement is considered a civil rights issue. Uh, and it's really crazy, too, because uh, civil rights, when we think of civil rights issues, we think of uh, equal rights for women, which women deserve equal rights with men. Now, there's some people that try to go beyond equal rights to special rights, and that's where you enter into some, some danger in that area. But women deserve equal rights. All races, we're all human beings. We all came from Adam and Eve. We were all created in God's image. So all the different races deserve equal rights as well. Uh, those are civil rights issues. But homosexuality is not a gender. It is not a race. It is a behavior. So this would be like uh, civil rights for uh, 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 heroin abusers or civil rights for uh, shoplifters. So this is a, a real play on words, just to call it a civil rights issue, because it really isn't. It's a behavior, and the question is, is this behavior a godly behavior, or is it a, a sin, sinful behavior? Is this behavior something that helps others and helps society and helps to maintain a healthy society, or is it something that destroys a society? And so those are the things we're going to need to look at. Uh, in this country... Homosexuality was first viewed as a sin. We're going to take a look at the, the biblical view of homosexuality and see that there are ample biblical reasons for calling homosexuality 
a, a sin, even a, an abomination, a horrible sin in, in the eyes of God. Uh, so it was first viewed as a sin, but then later on, people like Sigmund Freud came on the scene and they diagnosed it as a mental illness. So all of a sudden, the homosexual wasn't a sinner. Now he was a, a, a victim. Uh, someone not responsible for his actions, someone who was mentally ill, and we need to feel sorry for them and help them out, kind of like the, the, the cancer patient, that they deserve our, our, our sorrow and that type of thing, rather than uh, uh, any judgment. Uh, but then as time went on, in 1973 in this country, the psychological community under heavy, and I mean heavy, violent pressure from the gay rights movement, uh, in 1973, the psychological community in this country declared that homosexuality is no longer considered a sin. It's no longer considered a mental illness. It's perfectly healthy. It's an alternative lifestyle. In other words, it's a choice, a healthy choice that some people make. Some people choose to be homosexual. Others choose to be heterosexual. And that there's nothing wrong with the homosexual lifestyle. Now, when that judgment was passed down, a group of Christians began to write books and give speeches against the sin of homosexuality. And uh, Greg Bonson wrote a book on, on the biblical view of homosexuality. And uh, uh, Dr. Tim LaHaye, though, wrote a book, The Unhappy Gays, in 1978. Now, the first, there were, there were actually guys with AIDS at that time in this country, but we didn't even know what AIDS was yet. So it wasn't until 1981 when the first man was diagnosed as having AIDS in America. But in 1978, uh, Dr. Tim LaHaye stated, and I quote, a sexually lenient society will incur the wrath of God. A, sect, a, a homosexually lenient society will incur the wrath of God. And it was just three years later that we found uh, about, out about this thing called AIDS. And uh, I do think that uh, God's judgment is upon this nation not solely because of homosexuality uh, and not solely because of abortion, but because of a combination of, of these things. We're turning America into Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, Hitler's Third Reich and it's all rolled up into one. And we still have coins that say, in God we trust. And we talk about ourselves as being one nation under God. And so I do think that judgment is, is just around the corner for this nation if we do not repent. But let's take a look at this. Is homosexuality an alternative lifestyle, or is it a mental illness, or is it a sin? And uh, let's see what the Bible teaches about it. First off, what is God's view uh, of sex? Now, God ordained the sexual union of a husband and a wife. Take a look at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. By the way, there are plenty of churches that young homosexual men and young homosexual ladies can go to where these churches, and they will call themselves Christian churches, they will have a, a, a cross on the, on the roof, and uh, they may even preach from a Bible. I don't know. Then again, they might not even bring their Bibles to church. I don't know, but... Uh, there's a lot of churches in this area, throughout this area, that are pro-homosexual rights and think that it's perfectly 
natural and it is not a sinful act. You can continue in homosexual in a homosexual lifestyle and be a good Christian. So there are a lot of these churches that are out there uh, that are claiming this, and it's my my contention that the Bible teaches differently. And uh, I did debate down at Lower Columbia College, uh, Reverend Farley Maxwell, uh, an ordained United Church of Christ minister who was living in Oregon at the time and was the president of P-Flag, Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. And uh, I debated the issue with him, and you know, he'd be the first to admit. It was the biblical perspective on homosexuality. He'd be the first guy to admit that he did not do real well in that debate. And, uh, and in fact, I, 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 he, we reached a point where he was saying that the reason why Paul condemns homosexuality is because Paul's biases, Paul's prejudices, cultural prejudices were coming out in the text. And so my response to him, is this God's word or is it not God's word? And so it's like, yeah, it's God's word and it doesn't have errors at the same time. Sometimes if I don't like what it says, it's because the author's prejudices. You can't have it both ways. And so, yes, uh, you can throw the Bible in the garbage can and, and ignore what it says. God gives you that choice. It's called free will. We can abuse uh, free will. But to say that the Bible is God's word and then to just ignore its clear teachings... Uh, is uh, is ba you know basically it's, it's it's not a very consistent position to say the least, and it's not a godly position. Now Genesis one verses twenty six to twenty eight, the word of God says this. Then God said, "Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth." And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so in the beginning, God created the human race, and he created them male and female, and he told them, uh, to multiply, to reproduce. Look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Okay, so now you got this man, and now God's saying, I want to make a helper that is suitable for this man. And so, uh, what does God do? Uh, but God, in, in verses uh, 21 through 24, says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, it's, it's interesting here. God says, I want to make for man a helper that is suitable for him. And he makes the woman. 
and then he joins the two together, and, and that is how the, the human race reproduces. So, uh, the, God's idea of the home, of the family, is one man and one woman, and he blesses this, uh, this beautiful thing called sex that he gives, the sexual union of a husband and a wife, he blesses this, uh, by uh, allowing them to reproduce more human beings, little boys and, and little girls. Uh, take a look at Matthew 19. Matthew 19. By the way, we have a governor in this state. We have a governor right now in this state who believes in same-sex marriages. That whether it's, it's two men or whether it's uh, two ladies... Uh, that they should hold the same status in society and should be recognized as a marriage uh, just as if it was uh, a, a man and his wife. Uh, look at what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 19, uh, verses 4 and 5. And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Jesus is going, he was asked a question about divorce and remarriage. He said, look, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go to your, to the rabbinical scholars, to the theologians of our day. I'm going to go right back to the beginning of creation. Right from the beginning, my father created the male and female. Let me tell you something about God. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. If God made him in the beginning male and female... Who are we to thousands of years later to turn around and tell God that uh, he made a mistake and that it doesn't have to be a male and a female. We can have a male and a male or a female and a female. Okay? In the beginning, God, the God who knows what he's doing, made the male and female, verse 5, and said, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, there were many people throughout the Scriptures who had, you know, many men throughout the Bible that had more than one wife. That was not God's intention. Jesus went right back to the beginning and he said, and the two, not the 25, not one man and his 24 wives or one woman and her 24 uh, husbands, but the two, one man and one woman for one lifetime. That is the biblical ideal. Now, we have a God of forgiveness, you know. You might have someone who got married and their spouse left them and that type of thing. And later on in life, the Lord blesses them by providing another spouse for them. Uh, but the biblical ideal is one man and one woman for one lifetime. Okay? Uh, take a look at what the Bible says about homosexuality. Look at Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18. Now, we have to be real careful whenever, whenever we go to the Old Testament and we read verses about God's commands in the Old Testament, uh, especially in the first five books, the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, Leviticus is one of them, uh, because some of these laws applied only to the nation of Israel. And some of them applied to not only the, the Jews, 
but to the Gentiles, the non-Jews as well. And sometimes it's tough to figure out which one of these laws is that, okay? Basically, the, the overriding breakdown, God's law, you have the ceremonial aspects, the religious practices that God foreordained that were types of Christ, and they have been fulfilled by Christ, so they're no longer in effect. Then for the nation of Israel, since God was their king, you had the civil punishments for crimes. So you'd have a, a crime committed, and then God would say, well, this is the punishment. And that was just for the nation of Israel. But then you also have the moral aspects. And the moral aspects, just, you know, God, what is right and what is wrong, flows from God's nature, God's good nature, and that remains the same. But whatever the case, this passage we're going to read, Leviticus 18, What God's Word says here is that this will defile not only the Jewish nation if they practice it, but it will also defile and destroy. These practices will destroy Gentile, non-Jewish nations as well. So take a look at Leviticus 18 and verses 20 to 25. And that reads, And you shall not have intercourse with your neighbor's wife to be defiled with her. So that's... Uh, a prohibition of adultery. Verse 21, Neither shall you give any of your offspring to offer them to Molech, that's a false god, nor shall you profane the name of your, of, of your god, I am the Lord. So it's forbidding the sacrifices of innocent babies to a false god. Now, we're civilized in America, so we don't do that. Instead, what we do, we sacrifice our babies, our unborn babies in this country, uh, to the God of convenience. If it's not convenient to bring a baby into the world, we just uh, kill the baby before the baby's born, and then we just call it tissue rather than a human being. Uh, but that will also defile the nation. Verse 22, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. Something that God finds disgusting, an abomination, horrifying. Verse 23, And you shall not have intercourse with any animal to be defiled with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. Do, do not defile yourselves by any of these things, for by all these the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. For the land has become defiled, therefore I have visited its punishment upon it, so the land has spewed out its inhabitants. Verses 24 and 25 are very key here. Because what it is saying, God is saying, look, don't take part in these practices, the, the killing of innocent babies, uh, the committing of adultery, the committing of, of bestiality, and the committing of homosexuality, if these become rampant in your society, it will defile your nation just like it's defiled the Gentile nations in the land of Canaan. And God is saying, because they have become defiled, because they have taken part in these practices, uh, literally it reads, I have vomited, vomited them out of the land, and I will do the same to you, O Israel, if you partake of these things. So whether Jew or Gentile, it is very clear that there are certain practices that will destroy a nation. And homosexuality is one of these practices. Now, let me say this. Adultery is also mentioned there. 
Um, the killing of innocent children is also mentioned. So I don't want to give you the impression. Homosexuality, number one, it is not the only sin the Bible talks about. Okay? And number two, it is not even the only sexual sin that the Bible talks about. And uh, sexual promiscuity, even within uh, the heterosexual camp, is still an abomination before God. So we need to keep in mind that homosexuality is not the only sin, nor is it the only sexual sin that God condemns. There are other practices uh, as well. At the same time, it is one of those sins that God refers to as an abomination, and uh, it is definitely something uh, that should not be condoned because it will defile a nation. Now look at uh, Leviticus 20 and verse 13. This is one of those civil penalty aspects that, uh, that I was talking about with the, the law of Moses. Leviticus 20 and verse 13. If there is a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman... Both of them have committed a detestable act. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. Okay. God considered the homosexual practice so sinful that he ordered the death penalty for it in the nation that he was the king. You know, the, the nation uh, that he ruled over. Um, now, that does not mean that we in America should fight for the death penalty for uh, uh, the practice of homosexuality. Uh, if you read throughout the Old Testament law, uh, rebellious children living in Israel were also put to death. So I am not one of those advocates, having not, uh, you know, I was not the, the perfect child. Most of us here were not. This would be an incredibly small church right now if we still practice that and stone to death rebellious children, okay? So what I am showing here, though, is how severe, how harsh God was with this practice. Now, keep in mind, God's standards with Israel were, in some ways, a little bit more harsh than maybe Gentile government should be because God was making an example out of the nation of Israel she was to be the light to the nations, and therefore the standards and the, the punishments that he declared for them were so severe that basically he was going to clean house of all the bad elements to, to leave a very little chance for Israel to go sour and to misrepresent their God. Now, even having done that, they still went sour and misrepresented their God and began to bow down and worship false gods. Uh, but we don't apply the penalties across the boards, but what I'm getting at is God was very, very opposed, and still is, obviously, a God who does not change. Is a God who, he is a God who is opposed to homosexuality, considers it an abomination, says it will defile your nation, and uh, thought it deserved even the death penalty uh, for those in the nation uh, of Israel. Take a look at the New Testament, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Uh, one, of the, one of the marks for Jesus 
one of the marches for Jesus that we did, uh, I preached a brief message on the, the decay of a nation. And uh, starting with Romans 1, what it is, Romans 1, verse 18 to verse 32 talks about the, basically the deterioration of the uh, true knowledge of God that mankind has. It starts out telling us that even though man has not seen the invisible God, we see the visible work of his hands, we know that he exists, but rather than being thankful and glorifying God, man turns his back on God and does his own thing and then enters into all kinds of sinfulness. And so it shows that once you reject the true God, verses 18 to 22, you profess to be wise, then you become fools, you start worshiping idols, you get involved in all kinds of gross immorality, and then things just go downhill after that, and then it closes up with verse 32, that not only do you partake of those things, but you encourage others to do the same. Today we call that uh, political correctness. Okay? Um, that's why the... The uh, gay rights movement works closely with the pro-abortion movement, which works closely with the radical women's lib movement, which works closely with socialistic groups and all different kinds of anti-biblical viewpoints. They're all working together uh, because they're, they're basically encouraging one another to continue to turn their back on God, and that's, that's what political correctness is. But as this, the stages of deterioration, rejecting the true God, then worshiping false gods, as this begins to uh, deteriorate, uh, it mentions a, a, a stage where homosexuality uh, becomes rampant. Look at uh, Romans 1, verses 24 to 27. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For their woman exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of this error. It's real clear here that as a society, this was mankind as a whole, but you can apply that to separate societies, as a society begins to reject the true God of the Bible, it goes further and further away from him. It re you reach a stage where Isaiah refers to it in Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Where all of a sudden, if you're out there in front of an abortion clinic defending the, life, uh, the lives of innocent unborn babies, CNN refers to you as terrorist. But the doctor who is slaughtering these unborn babies is somehow a hero, somebody we're supposed to look up to. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Whatever happened to, to this nation under God? Whatever happened to the land of the free? 
Look at how far we, we have fallen. But one of the final stages there is widespread homosexuality. When a man can look up to God and say, I don't care that you created me to be a man and uh, to have relations with the woman, my wife, I don't care what you created me to be, I'm going to do the unnatural things that I desire to do uh, rather than uh, uh, fit into uh, your purpose uh, for my life. But homosexuality here in Romans 1 is condemned, if you notice, it is condemned in both thought and deed. You're going to find people like Tony Kampala. Let me tell you something about Tony Kampala. Tony Kampala is not an evangelical. Tony Kampala never was an evangelical. Tony Kampala, he, he preached one good message. James Dobson put it on his program. People thought that he was uh, an evangelical. And now the evangelical community has accepted him. And the guy is basically a, your basic extreme leftist socialist. Uh, and he believes that homosexuality is wrong in the behavior, but it's not wrong to, to have uh, homosexual thoughts and desires. And uh, so he thinks we ought to outlaw smoking, but not homosexuality. Which, by the way, in, in this country, most states still have laws against homosexuality. It used to be all, every state had laws against homosexuality. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, Tony, Tony Kampala is wrong. The Bible teaches, look, look, at, look at the language that, that Paul uses. God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Uh, God gave them over to degrading passions. And so it's condemned not only in deed, but in thought as well. Um, we'll, we'll take a look about how sin originates in the heart in, in just a minute. I want us to take a look at a couple other passages that condemn uh, the homosexual practice. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 6. You see, you know... If I punch somebody in the nose and it's not justified, you know, I'm not defending somebody's life or anything like that. If I punch somebody in the nose, that's wrong. But it's also wrong for me to desire to punch somebody in the nose when it isn't God's will for that nose to be punched. Okay? So what I'm getting at is we are not going to... We are not going to live a victorious life if we act like only our actions are sinful what goes on in the thought in our thought life in the thought world is neither here nor there it's not sinful unless you actually do it now and, and believe me if you're thinking about hitting somebody that's not as bad as hitting them but it's still bad it's still sin and uh these uh, you know modern liberal ideas that are that are being thrust upon us um, are just destroying the moral fiber of this nation. Look at First Corinthians six verses nine to eleven. Paul says this: Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators. So you know sexually promiscuous people 
uh, they may profess faith in Christ, but if their lives are characterized by being sexually promiscuous, that's evidence that they don't really believe. Because if they really did believe, Jesus would have made the, those changes in their lives. Okay? Um, or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. We'll talk about those two terms in just a minute. Nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, this is a God of holiness. The God of the Bible is a God of justice, a God of righteousness. Verse 11, he's also a God of grace. And such were some of you. Don't ever act like homosexuality is the unforgivable sin. Don't ever act like it's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit can never be forgiven. It can be forgiven. You know, we, all, we often think about the homosexual, and, and, and granted, the homosexual lifestyle is very sinful. It's an abomination before God. It's disgusting before God. At the same time, just remember how disgusting you were before you got saved. And I don't know what kind of baggage you brought with you when you got saved, and then Jesus began to remove that garbage from you. But the fact of the matter is, you know, I'm saying this so many times, it's getting, getting to be redundant, but... Keep in mind, take the, the worst homosexual there is and the gap between my righteousness and his righteousness is smaller than the gap between God's righteousness and my righteousness. Now, keep in mind, I'm in transition. God's working on me. The other guy hasn't allowed God to work on him yet. But God's working on me. Someday God is going to conform me to the image of his son. But in the meantime, yes, the homosexual stinks from the stench of sin. But so do you and I, but God is working on us, and he's taking that crud away from us. And he's getting rid of it, and he's molding us more and more to the image of his son. Uh, but Paul says to the Corinthians, and such were some of you. Some of you guys were homosexuals, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Our God is the God of a second chance. He's a God of forgiveness. He's the God of the now who can say, I don't care what you did yesterday. I forgave you of that. You came to me. You trusted me. Now I'm going to wash you. I'm going to cleanse you. And I'm going to change you from within. And the God of the Bible can do that for the homosexual. Now, there's a lot of homosexuals that deny that. And by the way, they will call, they will say, you know, anybody who opposed to homosexuality, you're, you're homophobic, you're uh, uh, a gay basher. Well, those are the same names being thrown at an organization called Metanoia Ministries in Seattle. Metanoia Ministries, I mean, metanoia is the Greek word for repentance, to turn around, to change. It, it, it's, a, it's a ministry of former homosexuals who trusted in the Lord Jesus for salvation. And guess what he did? He washed them. He cleansed them. He changed them from within. And now those guys are getting flack from other homosexuals 
Because they're presenting evidence that Jesus Christ can change even homosexuals. Because the homosexuals are saying we can't change. We are what we are. We were born to be this way and that's the way we are. And these other guys out of Seattle, God bless them, are saying the Lord Jesus Christ can make a change. And uh, a lot of these guys are married now, got Christian wives, got Christian children, and, uh, and are just praising the Lord Jesus day and night for the changes uh, that he made in, in their lives. Um, but uh, but the, the key here is, if your life is characterized by some type of unrighteousness, and you know none of us are perfect, we all slip and we fall, but if our lives are characterized by fornication, by idolatry, by adultery, or some of these, it is, that is evidence that you do not really believe in Jesus for salvation. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 7, 21. So what he's basically saying is, you've got to practice what you preach. You've got to walk the talk. And if you do, that's evidence that you really did meet Jesus. Because it's like James would say, and you can't tell me you met my big brother if he hasn't changed you. Because if you meet Jesus, he makes a difference. And, uh, but the fact of the matter is, even homosexuals can be saved, and therefore we should preach the gospel uh, to them as well. Um, by the way, the gospel message does not change. It's not any different when you preach the gospel message to an atheist or to a homosexual or to an alcoholic. Um, you're just preaching the same gospel message of salvation through Jesus. And uh, once they accept Jesus, if they truly did accept Him, Jesus is going to make the changes. And you need to encourage them in that area, but it's the same gospel message that you need to... You know, the gospel means good news. You know, I, I had... Uh, when I was, uh, I was raised a Catholic back in Jersey, and uh, I had some Protestant friends, and years after I got saved, I went back home and I, some of my Protestant friends said, oh yeah, yeah, we were, we were born again believers back then and we witnessed to you so many different times. And it's like, you witnessed to me? I said, yeah, yeah, don't you remember when I, I slammed you for the infallibility of the Pope? I slammed you for praying to Mary. I slammed you for praying to the saints. I slammed you for... So all they ever told me about was the bad news, the things I was doing wrong. And they never did tell me the good news and they thought they had witnessed to me. And, and, and these guys, if they witnessed anybody but a Roman Catholic, they would have told them the good news of Jesus. Then when they get to a Roman Catholic, they just break out a sledgehammer and start slamming me over the head. Never tell me about the good news. And I'm not saying that we're not supposed to preach against the bad stuff. But what I am saying, if you didn't tell them about Jesus, you ain't preached the good news yet. Because Jesus is the only good news this world's ever going to hear. I mean, you can have the whole world, but if you forfeit your soul by not trusting in the Lord Jesus and accepting the good news that he brought salvation through him, you lost it all. Um, take a look at First Timothy. Oh, oh, one other passage. i got a key on one other phrase there. there there's, there's two different types. of. I, I didn't even know this. Even when I exegeted this passage, I just, it, 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 I just didn't understand it. Why there would be two different words for homosexuals in 1 Corinthians 6. Um, 
the effeminate nor homosexuals and different expositors give different reasons for it but now what I'm finding out as I research the, the homosexual community more and more through reading a lot of different works I'm finding out that throughout history there's been two different kinds of homosexuals now we're not told that today in Nazi Germany by the way one of the biggest factors the two, probably the two biggest factors that led to the Nazi movement which traces its roots into the mid-1800s, uh, the two biggest factors was uh, occultism, just deep, uh, just real uh, in-depth um, beliefs in, 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 the, in the demonic realm. Uh, but occultism, and number two, homosexuality. And, uh, but basically, there's two types of homosexuals and I'm not, these aren't terms that I'm, I'm just giving you the terms as they are. They're called the butches and the femmes. And, and basically one type of homosexuals, the, the, the femmes, these are among male homosexuals, by the way. The male homosexuals that claim to be woman trapped in a man's body and that are more feminine in their actions at times and that type of thing, um, they're looked down upon by the macho, uh, real masculine homosexuals. And if you do get homosexuals within a society that get extremely militant, they are almost always the macho type. And uh, if you have a strong stomach and you want to find out more about how the Nazis came to power and what not the Nazi movement was all about, for the occultic aspect, there's a book, Resurrecting the Third Reich, by an author named Terrell. But for the homosexual aspect, there's, there's a book called The, the Pink Swastika. There's an, the author of that, his name is Scott Lively. Uh, he's out of Oregon right now. He's working on a Master of Arts in Apologetics through Simon Greenleaf in, in California. But, uh, but he's out of Oregon, Scott Lively, and he wrote a book, The Pink Swastika. And... Uh, um, it, it's really crazy about the, the militant homosexuals, but basically what it amounts to is there are two different types of homosexuals, the feminine types and the real macho, militant, masculine type. And this runs throughout history. It even predates Paul. And uh, so apparently Paul knew enough about that community uh, to understand that. As, by the way, in Romans 1, he talked about male homosexuals receiving in their own persons their punishment. Paul was saying that these guys don't have to wait till the hereafter to get punished. They're destroying themselves here and now. We talk about AIDS today, but we don't talk about much of the 300 other homosexual related diseases that are just destroying the homosexual community and then spreading on. Some of these diseases, unlike AIDS supposedly, uh, can spread to uh, the heterosexual community uh, as well. Okay, take a look at First Timothy chapter one. Uh, but it, it, it's not a fun subject for me to preach on. Uh, I, I just think that from the from some of the studying I'm doing now, it's getting more and more important. I'm hearing, by the way, I'm hearing too many Christians say that uh, we're we have no problem with equal rights. I, I'm hearing evangelical Christians. We have no problem with equal rights for gays, we just don't want special rights for gays. 
I think even that is giving in to the spirit of the age. Because, you know, that's what I would say uh, about, uh, about ladies. That's what I would say about other races. I'm for equal rights for them, but not special rights. But with the homosexual behavior, I mean, uh, let me tell you right now, if church attendance was spreading diseases throughout this country in epic proportions, they would declare Christianity illegal and shut down our churches overnight. Okay? Uh, I mean, look at all the big commotion that's being caused about smoking because they, they think smoking could take, you know, probably 10 years off of your life, which it probably does. Look at all the commotion there. Um, and then the, the research done on secondhand smoke. Um, yet homosexuality, which is much worse than the examples that I've given um, from a public health issue, is being promoted right now. Uh, but look at First Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Um, Paul says, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. So he's just classifying homosexuality as uh, as homosexuals, as those who are law, lawless and rebellious. And there's many other sins that are mentioned there. But keep in mind, both Old Testament and New Testament, homosexuality is an abomination before God. It is a horrible sin, and it is something uh, that, if it becomes widespread enough, can destroy a, a nation. Now, I want us to take a look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 27 and 28. Now, I also have listed Matthew 23, 25 to 28. We don't have time to, to turn there, but the, the emphasis there is on the fact that sin originates in the heart. And you don't have to act out. If you are just, you know, even the most godly man on earth can be tempted from Lucifer or his demons and can just throw a, an evil thought evil temptation into the guy's mind, uh, if, if that happens and the guy just rebukes it in the name of Jesus and shuts it down right there and then gets his focus on God, there's no sin. But when a guy receives that temptation and dwells on it and thinks about it, okay, about hitting that person or about getting involved in immorality or whatever, then even if that person doesn't act upon it, it's still sin. And anybody, I don't care if it's promise keepers who are trying to, you know, encouraging people to read, read uh, a book by some psychologist that talks about, that claims that Jesus, he, because he was a man, lusted after a woman. No.